The Talking Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Luaf Press. Get 15% off all football titles with the code TALKINGFOOTBALL. You can also use the code UK15 for free UK shipping on orders over £15 and International30 for outside the UK for sales over £30. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 56 of the Talking Football Podcast. My name's Derek Clark and every week we try and bring you a top-class interview with some of the biggest characters involved in the game. After last week's interview with Brian Roy, it was a pleasure to chat to another former Nottingham Forest hero, Chris Bart-Williams. A superbly gifted midfielder in his day, Chris talks about breaking through at Leighton Orient, starring for a Sheffield Wednesday side that was reaching League Cup and FA Cup finals and finishing third in the Premier League no less. He also talks about overcoming the pressures of playing for Forest to become a key player for them in the 90s. He discusses his disappointment at having to leave the city ground, his Charlton regrets, his spell playing abroad, his work in America where he runs a soccer recruitment agency and a mind-blowing and equally scary story about life as a black man living in the States. It's another fascinating interview, so sit back and enjoy the latest episodes of the Talking Football Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Talking Football Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to say we're joined this week by former Sheffield Wednesday Nottingham Forest legend Chris Bart-Williams. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks, Derek. Before we start, Chris, I think we're just speaking there off air. Of course, the coronavirus affecting everyone at the moment. In terms of you, you're of course in the States just now. Um, how are you getting on? Um, getting on well. Um, I'm between two states, uh, North Carolina and and uh, Florida, Miami. So it's, um, it's a different experience, to say the least, especially in Miami. I know you're doing coaching out there. Is it, has it affected you guys with regards to training and all that sort of stuff? Yes, yeah. Um, I just launched my club this about a couple of months ago, so we can't even get on the field at the moment. Um, and most people are doing really small group training, like threes or fours and following some guidelines, but it's pretty tough. Because kids are dying to get out there to play. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, looking back at the career, then, Chris, um, great career, of course, you had in the game. You were born in uh, Sierra Leone, and, and you grew up in North London. Did you move over quite y- at a young age? I believe I was four or five years of age when I moved from uh, Sierra Leone to London. And um, growing up in London was pretty uh, a, a challenge to say the least at that at that period of time. Yes. Yeah, did we always did you always sort of want to be a footballer? Were you always playing football as a youngster? Um, well, I didn't really want to be a footballer to probably I got to my, uh, I think it was 13, 14. But when I started to play football in, in kindergarten, I think it was, um, it was just, I think the sport found me. Yeah. Um, it says I just played with other kids in the playground. And before I knew it, I was on the elementary school team, which was pretty shocking considering I didn't really know much about game at that time so it kind of evolved from there yeah um, did you did you support anybody did you have a favorite team at all um i i obviously loved watching the liverpool team of the 80s yeah. they were just brilliant um but arsenal was my um my local team between i lived between arsenal and spurs but i was yeah. more uh, definitely an arsenal supporter no disrespect to spurs fans of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, of course, you were, you were picked up by Leighton Orient um, at a young age. What, did, did they sort of just send scouts to go and watch you playing for, you play for boys clubs and that sort of thing? It was amazing. Actually, it was when I was in middle school. Um, one of my friend's dads uh, saw me playing and asked me if I would play for his local team in um, East London. So he had to get permission from my mum to play. And he would literally pick me up from home and drop me off for practice and games. And then Orient saw, saw me playing at a local field in um, Walthamstow. And they recruited, I think it was six of us off that team, to train with the Orient um, youth programme, obviously, at the time. And we just came through the ranks, I think, from 11 through to when I obviously got sold. Yeah, oh, fantastic. And uh, I mean, can you remember making your debut there? Again, you were 16, I read, wasn't it? You were quite young. That's right. Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it, was uh, it was pretty strange because, um, well, not strange, because I had cleaned the boots of the pros that were playing. Yeah. And then um, John um, Gorman came down to tell me, hey, wow. you wanted in the first team dressing room. <laughs> And um, next thing I know, I'm getting changed. <laughs> and then I'm playing. <laughs> and then after I played, I then went back to cleaning the boots. <laughs> oh, <there> you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> if you talk about um, that, uh, definitely humbled, that experience that it. So it's funny how for you know quite a while I was cleaning them, cleaning the boots, and then playing with the pros. Yeah, wow. Um, the, you mentioned there John Gorman, of course. Um, what was he like? Because uh, he went and worked at, with England, didn't he, after a while? He did. Uh, John was a very passionate coach. Um, he did a lot for me. As i got to say, all the coaches at Orient did. Yeah. We weren't just always coached by one particular coach. It gave us a diversity of coaches and personalities to, it seems, to adapt. Um, so, but John was, um, he was very enthusiastic, very passionate. Um, and he always challenged you and wanted you to be better yeah. um, and perform and play the game in the way that you obviously you know Joe Gorwich is. Play good football, but you obviously want to win. But, yeah. um, the Orient did, a, I think, a fantastic job with how they challenged my, um, our youth teams to improve. And they didn't worry about the results, but just of how to pluck certain players from the youth team into the, the pros. Yeah. Absolutely. Frank Clark, of course, was there and you team up again at Forest uh, later on in your career. What was he like as, as a manager, Chris? Um, well, it's funny. I saw, I got to see two different Frank Clarks um, because it's Frank Clark at Orient with, and he was obviously with John Gorman and Pete Eustace and Pat Holland, who was there at the time. So it was, it was, it's interesting watching there because we were a third division team at times, sometimes fourth division. And then at Forest, he was a lot more calmer. Um, when I reunited with him at Forest. Um, I remember him, we having a particular bad half at halftime. The old Frank uh, would lose it something, <laughs> lose it at halftime. <laughs> this Frank had a cup of tea in his hand and he was articulate about his instruction for the second half, and which really did shock me. So as coaches, we do adapt and learn how to navigate our players. Yeah, absolutely. Were you ever on the receiving end of any sort of... Uh, outburst by, by Frank or anything, uh, perhaps half time or whatever? Um, not by, uh, yeah, you know what? Yes, yes. Um, between Frank and Pete Eustace, I, I remember there's two incidences, I think. One was I'd played for the youth team and I was on duty for the first team game after, and I took a penalty and I scored. And then I think, if I remember rightly, it was as our Frank or Pete Eustace came over to me and said, don't you ever take a penalty like that again. <laughs> I, took, I did a two-step penalty um, 
Before it was cool. Before it was cool. Now, I just took a penalty how I always took a penalty. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, why can't I take a two-stick penalty? But I dare not ask. So I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> but as I, as I learned out, learned was there's not enough power in your two-step penalty to score consistently. So yeah. taking a run-up was the better, better approach. So I figured it out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, you spent a, a, a good year at Leighton Orient and then Sheffield Wednesday come in for you. Um, were they the only club that came in for you at the time, Chris, or did you, did you have to choose between clubs at that point? I didn't choose. Um, I was only told it was Sheffield Wednesday, but later, years later, I found out that um, uh, there was interest from Forest and Liverpool. But um, I think the wise Frank Clark and Pete Eustace um, sent me to Sheffield. Because the Liverpool team at the time was obviously stacked, and so and I remember obviously Jamie Red that was there as well. So there's, you know, it was a pretty smart move. Yeah. Uh, did you notice a step up in standard as well going up to Sheffield Wednesday? Of course, playing uh, in, in in the leagues above and going in back into the, the old first division. Um, yes, there's a definite step up in in players um, and also resources. That was the one thing that 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 definitely shocked me because. You know, it's Orient. They do the they do the best they can with the budget they can, but then you suddenly go to a Premier League club, and it's like, oh, um, you really do get quality um, uh, comforts to yeah. make sure that you are you know able to perform, which makes sense. Which makes sense. But yeah, there was definitely a step up in a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, cleaning the boots at Leighton Orient. Did you have to do that at Sheffield Wednesday? <laughs> <laughs> That took a little bit of time to get used to someone else doing your boots. Um, <laughs> um, it, it, it was very weird, you know, because <laughs> I was probably the same age as the person doing my boots. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what a side Sheffield Wednesday had back then, didn't it? I mean, Trevor Francis, of course, was a player manager. How did you find him? Um, I, I got on very well with Trevor. Um, I think, again, because we had a lot in common because through our, um, our, our transfers. So he handled me um, very well. Um, yeah. I could always, if I needed to go to him, I could, but I just didn't feel as I had to, or, or he would approach me about certain subjects at times. But other than that, he just put me in a position where he just, they do your job, you know? Yeah. I was, and it wasn't an excuse that I was a teenager. That wasn't gonna be, a, that wasn't gonna fly, that I was a teenager. So you just kind of get used to the environment of being harsh and professional, and you just, if you want to play, you've got to be, be able to perform at a high level consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course, the, the Sheffield Derby you, you, you're you playing over there, how did you find those games? They were really, derbies are so exciting and the week or the days leading up to the game, you know, the, the rivalry intensifies, yeah. you know, but you've got to keep your emotions in a healthy place because and then you still have a game plan. Yeah, And I think, in learning in learn from a lot of those derby games, whenever the emotions took over, it didn't always go well in the sense of it sometimes was a negative. But if you can control the, the emotions and the passion um, and still stick to game plan, it was, we were very successful. Yeah, and of course, it must have been sweet beating them in that FA Cup semi-final as well, of course, that, in that run you went to the final. Yes, um, it, it was. I, I feel as if we had a, a, an aura of we felt we were the better team, but that doesn't mean anything when you go to FA Cup semi-final. Yeah. Thinking about it, you just, it's, you've got to perform on that day, even if it's against your arch rivals. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Some cracking players at Wednesday at that time, of course. Um, Nigel Pearson was a skipper. Was he was he as stern as a player as he is as a manager? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um, led by example. Um, it didn't matter where you were with Nigel. Um, he played hard yeah. and demanded that everybody did so. Um, obviously, very well respected and just a great pro. You know, so I think for... Anyone who's working with Nigel, you understand that his demands are realistic and he doesn't drop his standards for no one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Some other cracking players, of course, Chris Wadden would arrive at some point as well. Um, how, how, how skillful was he? Was, I guess it must have, been, it must have been great to play alongside a guy like that. Well, Chris definitely changed the way we played in a, in a good way, which is what well, we adapted to how he played and what yeah. he brought. So he allowed us to give him the ball and he would have it under pressure with multiple players on him and then he would be able to find the open player. Yeah. So we were able to penetrate uh, against many teams with through that tactic, which is he drew players over because he knew he could beat people one-on-one. -on -one, but then he was smart enough to understand when to release the ball because he already bring, brought people over to him. So he, he was, it was just an extra fight to play with. It was just a joy. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, the first division became the Premier League in, in 92. See, as players, did, did you notice a sort of sense of excitement that something that's it's going to be something big and something different that you'd be playing in? I don't think so. I, it, was just, it was literally like change of name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I don't think for the first year you kind of grasped where it was going to go. And obviously, I think years two and three, you start to realise it was picking up yeah. energy and... The money was in, was it being increased, and the attention and the game was growing. That you yeah. definitely feel. But when it changed over to that first game of the season, personally, I just think it's like, okay, just a different title, same, same, um, same teams, yeah. just a different names. But as it picked up, it definitely did. Yeah, of course, the the the, the cup final teams uh, when you finished runners up to Arsenal, both in the League Cup and the the, the FA Cup. What was the build-up to those games like, Chris? And um, you came on as a, a sub. But did, were you disappointed not to start the game? Um, listen, I was always disappointed to start start any game, never mind the cup <laughs> final. But yeah, as you as you said, we we, we had a star-studded um, team. Um, Trevor was spot for choice. Yeah, you know, looking back, it could not have been easy. Um, but it was a it was an amazing week. Um, and I said previously, which is. It was just a reminiscent of watching the FA Cup when I was a kid, you know, watching the Liverpool teams and Man U teams. Yeah. Those cup finals, and you, you see some of the build-up, but to experience it yourself in the city, the week, the energy and the enthusiasm and the excitement and anticipation was just, it's just amazing. <clears throat> so it makes the day even special, especially when we go through the routine of arriving at the stadium, yeah. Bus comes into the tunnel, which you've seen for years and years, yeah. and then you're doing it yourself. So it's a case of kind of getting there and not letting the occasion get to you. Yeah. And again, the fans, both sets of fans, were just amazing. But again, can you keep your emotions in check to make sure that you stick into the to the game plan? Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure, but it's just how you deal with that pressure in the build up and also during the game. Yeah, and of course, Wembley, you played at the old Wembley as well. Magnificent arena to play football in. Is How did you, how did you find it playing, playing there? Did you sort of have to... Uh, can you take it all in when, when you're on the field? You know, it's, it's, uh, so I was lucky. I was fortunate enough to play at the old Wembley 
for the U21s against Spain. Um, yeah, right enough, yeah. Before I before I arrived for the FA, before I um, made the appearance for the FA Cup, so I already had a taste of it. So I was less nervous than I probably should have been because I already had that experience of playing on, on that field. So it was um, that was a gift. That was definitely a gift. I may have been more nervous had it been just the, my first time in the the, the, the finals. Yeah, talking about the, the England setup, of course you represented uh, England at various uh, levels, and, and and you were part of the team that won that um, the youth championship in '93. How 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 much fun was that? It was meeting up with um, the, the national team, the youth national team was for me. It was really joyous because they're a great bunch of lads. We had a great time. Um, the coach staff was excellent. Um, they created a very very um, inclusive environment for us but most certainly when I started most of my career at the youth level we always had a stacked team yeah you know we always had a stacked team and most of the players when I say a stacked meaning most of the players were playing in their first teams yeah and so with that we had an extra bit of confidence versus some of the teams that we played who didn't have a lot of their team I mean if I remember rightly you know we had Ian Walker um, Hugo Akeog, Sol Campbell, Steve Watson, um, Stephen Frogger, Jamie Redknapp, Nicky Bart, Bam, Bam, Nicky Bambi, <laughs> Robbie Fine was there, Andy Cole. So you, it's like... It's <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, it? Again, most were playing in their first team. And the list is, I mean, Dave Longworth as well, um, Darren Caskey. So it was literally a little bit unfair. But the one thing I, I think that we... We tried to play to the coaches requisite, but we all played differently at our clubs. So that was hard. Yeah. Because we didn't have a one a philosophy of how we played at U seventeen, how we played at U at the U twenty ones. It was different. And I think it, the times have changed. But now I think it's the more consensus that they all the teams play the same. So it was it was at times difficult. Yeah. Did Sierra Leone ever approach you to to, to, to represent them at all? They did, but it was it was really too late because I already played for the the national team at the time. Yeah. So it was um, it was it was the choice I could make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, after um, Sheffield uh, Wednesday, you, you join Nottingham Forest after a, a good few years. Were you sad to leave Sheffield Wednesday at the time, Chris, or did you feel that the time was ready for a sort of fresh challenge? It was both. It was. I loved my time at Sheffield. I mean, it, it was just how I was treated, the opportunities I got to play and play with good players. I mean, yeah. very lucky. And that's why there's no, there's no regrets in my career because yeah. of the company that I got to play with. The key. Um, it was just a time, time to move on, a new challenge. Um, and it really was because it took me a couple of years to adapt to playing at Forest because it was just a stark difference to Sheffield Wednesday, which I was very comfortable with. Um, the change and the change for us was 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 tough, but once I got acclimated, um, things become more confident. Things become became easier to play yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah, I've seen you saying that before. Is it when you walk in? Of course, they've won the, the European Cup a couple of times. Do you sort of feel that bit of pressure on, on on your shoulders when you walk in? And of course, Brian Clough wasn't the manager at the time, but against he's still sort of his aura is still around there. That's exactly it. Which is you walk in, you just see the history of of Forest and it's an added pressure for some a burden. Yeah. Um, I hadn't had that at Sheffield. It was off the back of the club success of get promoted and get to the final. Yeah. 
and, and Ron's success, which was a different kind of a um, pressure. Whereas this was a history of a club and the previous manager yeah. that was front and centre. Yeah. And then you have the fans' expectations on top of that, who were who were accustomed to good fo- good football and winning football. Yeah. And you know, I remember I remember winning the game at Forest and we were getting booed off, even though we won because we, we were crap. <laughs> 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 and it's okay. That's the Forest standard. You know, it's you know. I love that. Never tell you. You gotta you gotta you gotta perform, entertain, and win. Yeah. And you know, some clubs don't have that burden, but the Forest, you do. Yeah, you know, like to see very skillful, creative, dynamic, um, winning football. Yeah, absolutely. You said they're skillful. We had um, I had uh, Brian Roy on last week. He was uh, one of the most skillful players, of course. How did you find playing with him? He was exceptional. I mean, you never knew what he was going to do. Kind of like Chris Waddle, but he, yeah. he could turn a game on its head when he was when he was in the mood. It was something special to watch Brian. Um, his skill, his speed, his change of direction, his creativity. Um, you just, you just it all watching Brian play. Yeah, uh, some characters, of course, there at the time. Stuart Pearce, of course, is the, the namely one. But yet, like uh, Jason Lee and Kevin Campbell and what have you. So it must have been quite, quite a, a fun dressing room to be involved in. It certainly was. Uh, <laughs> 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 Jason was a, a character, but as a quiet, articulate a character, he was. Um, well, when you got Kevin Campbell in the room, I mean, you're going to be quiet compared to Kevin, <laughs> who's, uh, whose personality is is, is very um, infectious. Yeah. And so <laughs> we, there was an awful lot of laughing. You know, we spent a lot of time laughing. We did. Because um, yeah. it, it's, especially when things are going well, you need to, to find the fun in the game. Because yeah. if you don't find the fun, it just becomes too much pressure. Yeah. A lot of talk was made, of course, when big Pierre Van Hooydonk joined the club. He was rattling goals in for fun. And then, of course, the famous, uh, when he refused to win AWOL and he refused to play for the club. What, what was he like to play with, uh, Chris? And, and I guess that, that, that affected the, you guys when, when he was doing all that sort of stuff. Um, as a player, I mean, it speaks for itself. He, he, was, he, was, he was amazing. Yeah. Pierre was also um, very smart. I mean, he was a very intellect, intellectual player. Yeah, he is, yeah. Um, and... The team that got promoted, it it was it suited him and his aspirations of being successful. How we played, how we created, and we could deal with his frustrations at times. That wasn't a problem. But for him, the issue was the fact that selling um, certain players, he just didn't believe that we were equipped to deal with the Premier League. Yeah, that was ultimately what his his point of view was, and not that we can. Not that I could disagree with him, but his stance doesn't help us move on. Yeah. You know, it just caused bad vibes between us as a team, the fans, the, the, the club, the ownership. It just, that wasn't the way to go about it because that doesn't seem like team. Yeah. So it's hard to play as a team when you don't agree on how a player dealt with a situation. And we don't have to like the players, we just have to do our jobs at the end of the day. So yeah. we do not get that say. You know, we, we just don't. So it was very, very it was a it was a hard year for everybody related, yeah. related to Nottingham Forest. Yeah, it certainly was. You would captain Nottingham Forest as well. That must have been a proud moment for you to be asked to, to skip on the side. It was <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, especially the, the captains that Forest have had. Um 
it's funny because I actually, I, I wasn't, I was made captain first, then I got injured and, and then um, um, David Platt made um, Ricardo a captain. Yeah. But the problem was everybody knew or everybody kept on coming to me, asking me questions about whatever things were going on. <laughs> and so <laughs> after, it must have after a year, I just said to the, to the gaffer, went, gaffer uh, I wouldn't normally ask this, but you might want to consider making me captain because everybody keeps coming to me and there's pressure on Ricky and he's new to the club. And I know, I knew how it was when I arrived and yeah. that would be the last thing I would wanted <laughs> being a new player to the club, being a Nottingham Forest captain. And, you know, and he, he thought about it, spoke to Ricky and in the end, making me captain. But I remember the, the very first game after Ricky wasn't captain, he was, it was just like, a trailer came off his back. He yeah. was free. It was just, it's just understanding your, your, your players, you know? So it was, it was a great honor, but it was just funny how it came around because I was just watching how the environment I ran was. And Ricky yeah. was just unsure about how things were. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there David Platt, of course. Um, what was he like? And you played under Dave Bassett at, at Forest as well. Weren't the two sort of different characters, those two? Different characters. I really enjoyed um, both, I thought Dave Bassett did an excellent job, and it saddened me that he left. Yeah, um, he understood his players. He understood what Forrest is about, considering that he was a Shepherd Knight before, and he adapted brilliantly. Um, he was very transparent um, and very honest with his players. Yeah, and so it was. It was, and I, and it's so funny because he asked me to do something that I didn't want to do. But I knew from previous experiences to players, which is sometimes a coach will ask you to play somewhere that you don't want to play. And the first <laughs> thing he did was he moved me from centre mid out to left midfield. And now, of course, I understand why he did. Yeah. Um, and I understand what his, his 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 mindset was. But it was it took it took a uh, it took a while for me to get used to the idea. Yeah. Again, he at least he communicated before he did it. Um, which as a player is, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful thing to have. Yeah. David Platt, uh, it was a shame that he left that summer because I thought that year we were going to get promoted. The pre-season atmosphere was, was very reminiscent of previous years when we got promoted. Yeah. And it was, even though it was a young team, it was an experienced young team. Yeah. Like the, the first year with him was pretty up and down, but the second year pre-season, everybody came back in shape and the mindset actually of the players was, was fantastic. So when he left to an opportunity that you just can't turn down, um, yeah. coaching the U21s. It, it, was, it was really disappointing, but there was no blame. It's an opportunity a, a coach or any yeah. player would take. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about pre-season there. Were you a fan of pre-seasons or did you sort of dread them? Um, I enjoyed them. Um, the hardest part was, was obviously coming back in decent shape. But fortunately for me, I had international duty, so yeah. I didn't have as long off as many others. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting was the different pre preseason, different clubs, and notably my my first Nottingham Forest preseason was was really strange because we trained to the exact time mm. at each preseason, um, and it was a lot of ball work, and then we got straight into games. And I, and I remember saying to Frank Clark as we got close to the season, which is, I don't feel as if I'm I'm, I'm fit enough. <laughs> he goes, don't worry, trust me, trust me, you, you'll see. And to be fair, he was right. Yeah. It was, again, it was so different because other pre-seasons were heavy on fitness in the early stages and then the games later on. 
Whereas it was more a case of they found a, uh, an economy way of training us and then getting us game fit. Yeah. And like, like I said, he was right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the time came to leave for us. Were you sad to leave at the time you went, went to Charlton? Yes, because I didn't want to leave. Um, yeah. That was a nutshell. And the, and the club were adamant to get me off. And, and again, sorry, Paul Hart took over. Yeah. And he, I guess he had a mandate to get rid of the high earners and the, and, the, and the team to bring in the young. But the young needed experience yeah. players to play with because you know, the championship is not an easy... It's not an easy league to play in. No. Um, and whilst our young were very talented, they still needed the, the experience of the older players to navigate going to Tramere Way. Yeah. Going to, you know, Grinsby. Those places on a Wednesday night, it's raining, it's wet. You know, <laughs> you need experienced players to, to make sure the mentality is right. So, again, Paul was asking what he had to do, but the fact that they stopped me from playing just because I didn't want to leave... I just don't think that's a very good strategy. You know, why not play me until I decide to leave? Or... Yeah. It just wasn't a great way to go, Lee Forest. Yeah. You talked about Tranmere there, but was, was there any sort of grounds that you just hated going to? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wouldn't, say, it's funny, it's funny, I wouldn't say I hated going to Millwall. It's you knew what you're going to get in Millwall, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and even at times, especially taking corners in Millwall was not pleasant. <laughs> but it did add to the character of playing Millwall. Yeah, um, tough place to go, and home, home field advantage is important. But I would say there's no place I hated to go. I think it was more a case of um, when you went to Crew, the dressing was really small at the time. Yeah, that, that was really small. Um, you go to Sheffield United, amazingly, it was cold. I mean, the heating wouldn't be on. Amazing that. Short <laughs> <laughs> quarter. It's, all, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> just happened to be off that particular day we played Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> you, you go to Arsenal and you had the heated floors. Love that. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. Highbury oh, yeah. wasn't it, with it back then? Yeah, and a lot of my school friends were Arsenal Spurs fans. And so... Yeah. It was always great to go back to Highbury because I see them um, at the games, watching the games or working at Arsenal. So that yeah. was really, um, really nice. But yeah, I wouldn't say there's um, a place that I hated. There's just some difficult places to visit because of um, either facilities or the fans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, the, the city ground, when you played there for Forest, it must have been, when the team were doing well, it must have been a, a great place to play. It, it was. Um, Again, they're just so used to good football. Um, yeah, yeah, right enough, yeah. And when they're, when they're behind you and, they, and, and you win a game and the fans go unhappy, it, it, you're, you're really happy as a player because, you know, you've done your job, you made the fans happy, and that's, that's important. Um, yeah. But also, like I've got to say, the Sheffield Wednesday fans, that cop, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a thing of beauty um, yeah. that you didn't really appreciate until you played for them. I mean, when that roared, that, 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 that stand helped us pick up our performances at times when we needed it. Yeah. And I think fans, um, if I would say to fans, sometimes you it's just days that it's just not vibing. And I know booing us is a way to do it, but mm -hmm. I would go, sometimes you just need to pick us up and, <laughs> uh, and, and, get, and just help. Because some days, even as players, no matter how hard you try, things sometimes just don't go well in the field. Yeah. Um, but certainly with those two clubs, um, when fans got behind you, and gave you that pick, pick me up yell, you can't help but pick it pick yourself up, you know? Oh, definitely. I was going to mention as well, of course, those two clubs have been in the championship sort of ever since. Is it, is it, is 
that surprise you? I guess it just shows you how difficult that league is to get back out of. It, it has surprised me. Um, it has. It has. But I think that the, one of the factors could be the fact that when we went down with um, certainly both clubs, they had Premier League players. Yeah. When we went down to Forest, we still had a Premier League squad. Yeah. Like we, did, we didn't get rid of six, seven, eight, nine players. We, we kept a lot of the players. So we always had a, a, a chance to get back up. Yeah. But the, you know, the championship's always been you need a fantastic goalkeeper. You know, your two centre backs have to be solid yeah. defenders and hold a tough, mean back line. Your mids have got to just work hard and keep possession and keep destroying. But really, your, your strikers, you need four quality strikers. Yeah. Because if, you, you know, if any strikers get injured, the backups come in and can still get you those 10, 12 goals. Um, but your, your, your strikers have to be lethal. And we had a we were full, felt fortunate because we had Kevin, Pierre, you know, Brian Roy. Scoring goals when you're not playing well, especially on away trips, even home games, is essential. And if you have players who have the confidence knowing that oh, we're not playing well for the first 15, 20 minutes and we score, it changes the whole dynamics of the game. Yeah. And that's the confidence we had every time we went back up. We had that ability to score goals or create goals. Yeah, absolutely. Of, of course, when you went to Charlton there, I mean, that was a sort of golden period for them in, in, in the Premier League under Alan Kirbysley. When you were there, how, how, did you, how did you find your time there? Did you, did you enjoy playing for them? Um, I certainly... The fans, the, fans were ex, the fans were excellent. They just didn't get to see the best of me um, because I just fell out of favour. I mean, after a year, I fell out of favour with Kerbs. So I was travelling but not playing. And... and I remember saying to my agent, I went, he's, I said, he's never going to play me again. I said, no matter how hard I work, yeah. um, he's just, he's not going to play me. He's, he's made up his mind. And my agent was like, are you sure? I was like, and he was like, you're right. I, went, I know. Because as a player, there's a sense of your, your, your coach, how he treats you. And fortunately for me, I had, had advice when I was a Chef Wednesday, which was, there's times when your career is going to be on a high, medium, and low. Yeah. You just have to embrace all three. But, don't knock on the manager's door. Keep working hard on, on the practice field. So for me, it was just about that. Yeah. It was just about just keep working hard and you travel, you travel. You don't, you don't. Um, but that was sad because no player should be in a place where no matter what you do, you don't play. Yeah. And it was for me, the telling sign was the, the conduct of the assistant coaches who found it hard to give, because generally the assistant coaches are the one to smooth over the manager's thought process. Yeah. You know what? Maybe you need to work on this. Maybe you need to work on this. Maybe you need to work on this. They couldn't even give me that. <laughs> this looks at me like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just, Jesus. When you're at that period, you're never playing again. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but it was important for me not to allow myself to just not perform even at practice. Yeah. Whether I train with the team or not. I would not allow myself to be in a position where if I was called upon, I wasn't ready, whether it be fitness-wise or playing-wise. So it was kind of ironic when I was loaned to Ipswich. Yeah. Um, that was joyous for me because I got to play um, and I got to show what I could do. Yeah. And you played under Joe Royal, of course, at Ipswich, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Did you enjoy your time there? I did. <laughs> it's like a... It's like another... It was like similar to Forest and Sheffield Wednesday, which is... Very family family orientated club, yeah. small community. Um, the staff at the stadium and training were superb, so it was easy. You know, and the, the players were wonderful. And we had a rough start. We went to West Bromway, 
lost that game. And then I think after that, we went on a, on a, on a, a long run to get into the playoffs and lost into West Ham yeah. in, the, in the playoffs. But it was, uh, that was a, a statement of, of, for me, saying I was just a forgotten person at Charlton. Um, and that was okay. You know? But it was just a shame that it took that turn. But that's part of life's journey for a player. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, you chose to to go to Cyprus, and then and then Malta after that. But you, did you just fancy playing some football in the sunshine? I I well, I did. I wanted to play abroad earlier in my career, and when yeah. I was at Forest, and it was when David Platt took over, if I remember rightly. Um, I think Perugia and Sampdoria came in oh. for me, yeah. and he looked at me and was like, "I there's no way I can let you go." <laughs> I, I, I hear. You. <laughs> I, I, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> you, you and I wasn't even... Brother. Go ahead. Did you say, oh, yeah, no problem? Did you think, oh, I could <laughs> um, play for Sam Doria here? He, he understood. He understood um, that I wanted to go and play in, in, abroad. And if the time had been right, he would have allowed me to. Yeah. He just couldn't. And I, and I understood that. Um, so I wasn't mad at him or, or the club. It was just... It was, it was just a shame. So, for me, I wanted to play abroad. Mm. So, going to Cyprus, especially having lots of separate friends um, where I'd grown up. Yeah. It was, I was familiar partially with the language, if that makes sense, of the culture. Yeah. But what did it for me was, it wasn't the sun that helped, but that was, it wasn't the sun. It was actually the manager and the players and the facilities. Um, the stadium was fantastic. Oh, I yeah. mean, it, it really was. The main stadium, the training ground was good. And I was like, this feels... It's professional club just abroad. Yeah. Um, but even that, you still have to adapt to the 7 a.m. training in the morning and then the 7 a.m. training at night. That was weird. Um, <laughs> and I certainly, um, I played my first game and I came to preseason late in the, se- in the preseason. So I remember playing my first game. I remember the president coming down after the game and said to me, if you play like that again, I'm going to send you back to England. <laughs> and so he was mad. And then I looked at him and I said, um, I have a question for you. Uh, what, what's the coach been saying all week? I have no idea what he's been saying. He looks at me like, okay. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so maybe you need a translator. So I'm not only having a translator to sit next to me, I then took Greek lessons um, three, four times a week. Um, and then after, I think it must have been like four or five months, I didn't need a translator anymore. Yeah, wow. So it was, uh, it was a, <laughs> it's a lot of things. That, and if, if fans could also appreciate that when players come to a new country, the language and the culture is a factor of how they feel. Normally when you feel good, is you're comfortable with your surroundings. Yeah. And sometimes players join a club with a great reputation, but the surrounding is so foreign, so difficult, that it just takes time to adapt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, you, when you hung up your boots, did you feel that the time was ready for you, Chris, to, to, to stop? Oh, playing? hell yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, looking back, I forgot my professional career started at 16. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't like an in-and-out player. Yeah. And so my body had really taken its toll. So... I remember it being in Malta and we had a new coach come in in December. So, oh, yeah, December. Sorry, there's a lorry going by. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> um, and the coach wanted to do pre-season fitness. And we were at the track and we are doing like 1,000 meter run. And I did two and I looked and I suddenly realized 
my time's up. It's, it's someone else's time, you know. So I literally stopped running, walked around to the beginning, and the coach said to me, kick us a pie, which is, um, what are you doing? I went, I- I'm, I'm retiring, I'm done. <laughs> um, he goes, what? I went, if I'm doing 1,000-meter runs at this age, it's, it's over. I said, it's a young man's game, and the right time's up. And uh, I remember retiring and then going back to the house, and I walked into the house, and I looked at my girlfriend and went, she was like, what are you doing here so early? I was like, eh. I said, get your stuff, we're going to go to the beach. She looked at me like, what? She didn't say another word. She sprinted, grabbed the stuff, and we went to the beach. Because <laughs> I, I never would ever do that during my career. Yeah. During the season. You just, you're not going to go to the beach, get dehydrated, and then go to practice. It's yeah. in the heat itself. So you can imagine the look on her face like, hell yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Loving this. It was, it, my, time, my time was up. It was, it, yeah. was, um, it was a peaceful place for me. Yeah. So what, what, what made you decide to um, firstly go into coaching and decide to go over to the uh, United States? So when I was at Chef Wednesday, um, uh, Andy Cuomo said to me, hey, you would love the States for coaching. Because I was coaching um, uh, underprivileged kids in Sheffield at the time once a yeah. week when my schedule permitted it. Um, so these kids would come down. I, was just, I wasn't a coach. I was just a player then. I was 21. Oh, sorry. Sorry. 18. 18. Yeah. So... I already made up my mind then that coaching was going to be part of my life and subconsciously. Then my agent said it to me you know, whilst I was at Charlton, he said, you know, you should do your coaching licenses and be a coach. And I said, yeah. And so as towards my end of my career, I did my licenses, my UEFA licenses. And so when I retired, I knew I was going to go straight into coaching. And that's what I did. I started to coach a team in Malta with a head coach and was an assistant coach. So that was a real great learning curve yeah. because he had to have his team talks in two languages. And yet again, as I, and then he left for a week and I had to coach the team. So that was, <laughs> so again, I got the taste the <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so uh, it was just something that I naturally wanted to go to. But then I realized I didn't want to be necessarily um, a Premier League manager. Yeah. I felt that my, my upbringing was better in the youth. I thought my forte of coaching is in the youth. Um, yeah. Aspiring kids to perform knowing what they're going through uh, mentally and emotionally as a youngster playing it and, and learning such a difficult sport which it is yeah um and understanding that it's the, the players have to make mistakes to get to where they need to go and as a yeah. coach i try to create that environment where they can express themselves but understand the consequences of showboating versus <clears throat> playing to win yeah yeah so that's a tough one so what, what is it what uh, can you like fill us in on the sort of coaching that, you, that you're now doing over there? Oh, so um, now I have my own recruiting um, company, which yes. gets, takes kids, whether in the US or abroad in, in Europe, um, bring them over, train them, and then put them in different programs, whether it be college or semi-professional yeah. programs or even fresh programs. Um, given the, 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 the skills and the knowledge of what to expect when you go and play at this this club or you go to this place what the environment's like so having that inside information is very helpful to the players i I work with because having them call it the answer to the test going to these places is really important because when you try a club if you don't know how they play or what their philosophy is yeah it's hit or miss but if you have an idea and you can play towards that and you can use your skills get yourself in that helps but that's basically that's what i do i help People find either colleges or professional environments to to play, or 
vice versa, if you're here in the States, call people back home and say, hey, you might want to have a look at this kid, um, especially Miami, um, that has, North Carolina has a wealth of talent that's yeah. kind of untapped. Um, and it's not been fully discovered. So I try my best to unearth as many potential talent as I can. Yeah. What's the feeling though for there as well? Because of course David Beckham's got his into Miami as well. Is it is it uh, the sort of the, the popularity of the sport growing over there? It's been growing since I first got here over ten years ago. Um, it's 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 massive. Um, yeah. It would have been great for the World Cup to come back here because it's the main sport that kids play here. I mean, it really, is, especially with the girls, um, it's yeah. the game they. They, they, they veer it to. But unfortunately, too many leave the game at 13, 14 because of bad coaching. Yeah. Um, so um, here, I can't tell you, especially Miami. Again, Miami has a lot of undiscovered talent. So David starting to come here was a great idea. Um, if they become a successful franchise, I mean, it's, it would be insane. You know? And I said years ago to someone who loved basketball, I went, this, a football team here in Miami would become bigger, the biggest sport in Miami because yeah. the influx of, of South American and European and American um, families who love the game. Um, but the energy is certainly picking up here in Miami. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing affecting us at the moment, of course, is the, the Black Lives Matter movement that's um, around. Of course, you're in the States at the moment, Chris. What's it like over there with that? Because I know here um, all the players in the, the, the football games are taking the knee and what have you. But what's your, what's your views on that? Um, it's sad to say, but I've I've experienced um, both sides of the coin with the police. Which is, yes, I've certainly been protective. I, I can't deny that, and I'm very grateful. Whether it be in England or here in the states, yeah. especially being around schools, um, we have state troopers looking after us and make sure there's no shooters. Yeah. And then there's time when you know, it's times I've been driving where yeah, I felt like threatened with my life, and it's oh. it's scary. It is scary. Oh. I mean. Um, I remember stopping a fight here in Miami about six years ago. There was, there was a fight outside of school and someone was trying to take someone's kid and I stopped him. I stopped, yeah, this guy was taking somebody's kid and he ran to his car. I ran to his car and I opened the door. I sat on him and I put my arm across his, across his neck yeah. my, and I wouldn't move. And the, you know, this mother, these mothers called the police and the police arrived. The police tried to arrest me. So put your hand on your head. I went, what? Because put your hand in your head. I'm like, and the mums are like, what are you doing? Not him. The guy he's sitting on in the car trying to kidnap the kid. <laughs> didn't, didn't ask a question. Nothing. Wow. So that's just one of my experiences. So it's, it's hurtful, yeah. but it is an issue. And anybody that keeps saying it's not, it is an issue because I've seen both sides of it. Yeah. But I've also seen the police that have been there and helped and do their job and don't care about what nationality or race you are. Yeah. So I've seen both sides of it, and it's um, just now just it's great to bring attention to it. It's just can we find a common ground where you know we can start to trust the police and not have to you know educate kids. Hey, listen, if you see the police, hide or yeah, leave it. Put your hands on the steering wheel. Don't say a word. Don't disrespect. Like it's it's hard. It's really hard. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's just things that you you shouldn't have to sort of think about when you when you're going out there. So it must it's it's, it's it must be hard for you sometimes. It is, but you know what? There's a lot of people who are non-black who are very supportive, which helps yeah. bring attention to it. And that's what's changed, which is not just the black movement, black people saying, hey, there's an issue. It's actually other cultures that are now part of that fight. So yeah. it's really uh, 
it's, it's lives matters for all. Yes. Yeah. Not just that, but certainly this particular topic needs, it requires attention. It does. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the coaching, do you have any plans ever to come back to the UK, Chris? Are you quite happy out there? Um, I'm definitely happy out here. It depends on which opportunities um, arrive. Um, I know some coaches here are trying to get me involved with the US youth national team. Wow. Um, that would be, that would be, obviously a fun thing to do but yeah opportunities haven't really happened for me in England but if anything happens in Europe and that's worthy I would love to do it of course yeah, yeah. I'll consider it yeah I was going to ask that I mean that's another thing that I mean the big talk over here is that maybe black coaches aren't, aren't um, given enough um, jobs over here it's like that uh, in terms of the UK football it's, an, it's another issue I guess that that, that that might have to be addressed yeah I, so before I answer that question I think what it, from what I saw is it's the same coaches that get to coach the Premier League clubs. Yeah. They get fired, they go somewhere else, and then they get to come back. It's the same pool of coaches. Yeah. Um, so it becomes very frustrating. And then you add the culture thing to it. It shouldn't be, let's hire black coaches because we don't have enough. It's, let's hire them you know, the best candidate. So yeah. that's what you want to get to. But there isn't enough black coaches in those positions. And some are doing the right thing, which is starting the lower leagues, and then yeah. working their way up. But again, it's, you're not going to get a, you're not going to go to a Premier League club from a lower division club with experience. What you've got is a philosophy. And it's whether the owners and the, the directors think that that philosophy suits your club. And then you talk about the most important thing about it, which is it's the winning and losing and the money that goes with it. <laughs> and if you pick a bad coach, you're losing money as a club. So it's <laughs> <laughs> I think we all understand that. Um, but we certainly should get more opportunities. I think the NBA are doing the same thing over here, which is having more yeah. black coaches. But it's it's... There are some wonderful black, black coaches, but there's some wonderful coaches of all different cultures. Yeah. It's, um, for me, the best coaches belong in the youth system. Mm. Because yeah. the, the younger these kids are and the, these coaches get to those kids, the better they are going to be later. And I was fortunate to have more of that because I had, you know, Jimmy Hallibone, John Gorman and Pat Holland. Yeah. And Frank Clark and Pete Eustace. And, and, but, so it, 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 and that's from when we were 12. Yeah. It, it, it really changed my own personal development long term, which was people saying, oh, you didn't feel any pressure when you played your first game in the Premier League? No, because I've already been trained by guys who put me under pressure when I was younger. So this is like, yeah, I'm going to have fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's just my take on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you, Chris. I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, having you on. So I wish you all the best going forward. Thanks for, for coming on. You're welcome, Derek. Thank you for having me. That was episode 56 of the Talking Football Podcast with Chris Bart-Williams. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to listen to any previous episodes, you can catch them all in Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud and Podbean. Be sure to subscribe to the Talking Football website as well. That's talkingfitball.co.uk. You can listen back to all the interviews and there's also a host of great articles on there as well. If you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Talking underscore Football and we're on Facebook too. I hope you can join me again next week but until then keep safe and bye for now